Rusty Quill presents. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What is this? Why does everyone keep coming in and just leaving recordings? I live like 10 feet away, just come and knock on the front door and say hello. Okay, I guess this is entry 3125, titled Foreclosure, written and submitted to the exchange from a member going by the name Christian Wallace.
Recorded by Mark LaBeouf. get shot at. A lot. But that isn't what scares me about this job. When I arrive at home and I see someone burst out the front door clutching a rifle, I know what to expect. They have something to lose. They're scared. They don't know what to do. So I tell them. I give them the resources to fight back. I refer them to law firms who do pro bono work. Government bodies. Charities that can help them get back on their feet. I speak calmly and with empathy, and people listen. Some even thank me as they pack their things up and drive away. The suicides are harder to deal with. I get at least three or four a year, and people who kill themselves out of spite really go all out on the spectacle. The harder it is for the bank to clean up, the better. And people assume the bank puts their house on the market the second it's seized. But a house can sit forgotten for for years before I'm sent to look it over. Blown bodies swinging in empty living rooms. Fresh like melted candle wax from all the time left in the open air. I find it profoundly sad. These people lay themselves out like a spiteful diorama and then no one turns up. They slit their throats while clutching eviction notices, and by the time I arrive, the blood is dried and the ink has faded. The worst ones don't just hurt themselves, but their loved ones too. Suicide packs are more common with the elderly, but it isn't always octogenarians. It's families, too. It's rare, but it does happen. A sun-baked house with drawn curtains... So much time passed in the dry autumn heat, their skin turned paper thin. Receding lips, black toothless gums born in a rictus grin. Hell of a thing to see staring out of a crib. Each house is its own apocalypse, its own ruined city for me to wander. Whiskey in the toilet cistern, fentanyl under the bed, bills past due. And it doesn't just end with the people we kick out. These places are empty so long, you'll often get squatters. Usually homeless, but not always. Some have the potential to be thoroughly lethal. Stringy men and women with flinty eyes and missing teeth who come bursting out of mouldy old blankets and indoor tents, slashing box cutters wildly in the air. You could play tic-tac-toe on my forearms for all the defensive wounds. Even when they've moved on, the things they leave behind aren't exactly safe. Fumes from homicide labs can rot your lungs, and HIV-positive needles stuffed down the sides of an old sofa cushion are just waiting to prick your curious fingers. 
and the cooks get real paranoid about being robbed, so they like to rig their home with traps. They get inventive with whatever's lying around. Shards of glass on spring-loaded broom handles, uh, trick floorboards over boxes of razor blades, feces-smeared knives hidden beneath false window sills. Every now and again I find a trap that's been set off. A baseball bat rigged to lash out at anyone entering the kitchen, blood and hair dripping from the bent nails hammered into the wood. No sign of the poor idiot who set it off, just a grisly trail of gore leading out of the house and into a nearby wood. Most likely candidate is the guy who set the trap. These addicts stay up for days and pass out. Then when they wake up, the first thing they do is head for their stash, not remembering what they left behind. One time I found a guy lying a few feet from his own trap. He kept his money in the old metal lunchbox at the back of a cupboard, and he'd rigged it so anyone reaching in would get a hell of a surprise. He sure did. The blade went in at his elbow, and left just below the knuckle of his thumb. No helping him after that. He died bleeding out on his late grandmother's cold linoleum. What a god-awful way to go. And his little lunchbox? On the ground, and empty of anything worth taking. Police reckon someone was with him when it happened. Must have gotten scared, so they took the cash and left him to die. It'd take a full month before I found him, and no one even reported him missing in the interim. You'd think the kid would be angry, but... He wasn't. He just looked like he was scared. Nineteen, going through withdrawal and dying slowly. Curled up like a baby, one hand gripping his open wrist. You can't trap the ocean in your fists. It leaks through your fingers. The kid knew what was coming. I could see it in his eyes. Terrified. Absolutely terrified. Meth is a hell of a drug. These poor guys fry their brains out in the middle of nowhere. I can't even begin to imagine what they think they're seeing out there. What visits them in the dark? I found this trailer once that had been rigged with damn near a hundred traps. They weren't particularly sophisticated, but they were numerous and vicious and desperate. And they circled a lone motorhome out in the middle of the desert like an invading army made of knives and bear traps and stolen guns and even a few hastily made IEDs took me in a bomb squad a week to get to the front door. And by the time we opened it, we were all fairly certain of one simple fact. This place hadn't been rigged to keep thieves out. Whoever had set these traps had been scared of something leaving. Probably just drug-fueled paranoia on behalf of whomever set them. But I think the idea that something was in there waiting to get us got under our skin anyway. During the operation, we'd sometimes get shouted reports of someone moving around in the trailer and the whole site would go to hell. Armed men and women lying on their bellies, iron sights lined up at the front door, hands shaking. I guess we kept asking ourselves over and over what's in there that had someone so scared they set up all of these traps. When we finally got our answer, the first thing we found was a meth lab. Pretty par for the course. Less normal was a body that had been torn to shreds, halfway to dust after all the time in the heat had passed, but it was strewn all over the interior. Walls, floors, ceiling, 
couldn't argue it was a natural death or a product of scavengers. None less coyotes can work a lock and a key. What was left of his head and torso looked like he'd gone through hell. Now, I'm hardly a forensic expert, but it looked to me like he died slowly and painfully. Missing fingers. Teeth. One eye plucked out. Torture is what it made me think of. Even stranger than all that, though, was what we found sat on the kitchen counter next to all those broken beakers and stained chemistry equipment. A doll. Not like a kid's doll. Porcelain. Like a collector's item that had seen better days. Scared the life out of me, given the circumstances and all. Couldn't shake the feeling whoever had made all those traps had done so with one thing in mind. Which begged the question... Who was the poor guy stuck in the trailer? What happened to him? Cops wrote it off. Meth is a hell of a drug, so they say. We all knew that. Only I wasn't so sure. I've seen a lot of weird things. Who knows what visited the poor guy out in the wild so far from civilization. A lot of life gets lived out in the world. Out in the plains or in the forests among the hills far from prying eyes. You get a sense for it in my job. The sheer quantity of untold stories, failed dreams, great triumphs, abandoned canvases, well-worn guitars, heydays that came and went or simply never came at all. Most stories follow a rhythm. Most. Some, like that doll, raise profound questions. Others aren't really stories at all, so much as nightmares waiting for their next victim. The world is full of hidden needles waiting for probing hands. There are rare occasions where I'll advise the bank to not sell a property. They become part of a kind of no-go zone the government has set up around the country. I only see bits of this machinery at work. Whatever bureaucracy manages it is way over my pay grade. But there is a system in place for managing the worst of the worst. I'm not talking ghosts either. None of the examples I've given so far would be candidates. Sounds twisted, I know. Scrub the blood. Scrape the brains. Take the shotgun pellets out of the plaster. For the next family who move in have to contend with ghosts and a few clumsy meatheads or disgruntled former owners, so be it. No. For a place to be deemed a no-go, it has to be beyond recovery and an active threat to life. I'm talking about factories with bottomless holes that pump out enough radiation that the government has to build a nuclear dump site just to make a convincing cover. Although that's a bit of an extreme example. Most of the time we just blame it on radon or meth fumes and condemn it. I had this one place. A farmhouse where a family of five had lived for nearly 60 years. By the time I got there, the kids were adults and the parents had been dead a while. The children resisted selling their family home, tried to keep up with the payments. But they had their own debts, and in the end, the bank got its pound of flesh. At a glance, the house didn't look too bad. A bit run down, sure, but my standards are low, cracked and low. Windows were intact, no graffiti, roof hadn't been stripped, satellite dish was still up. From where I sat in my car gulping down a lukewarm bottle of water that spent its drive tumbling around in the passage of footwell, the house was relatively untouched by anything except nature and time. Something about that gave me pause. 
Shame I didn't listen to the gut feeling telling me it was all sorts of weird, and that an isolated house had gone unmolested for so long. I grabbed the keys the sheriff had given me and went inside, hoping for an easy gig. Three hours later, I was crawling out of a kitchen window I'd smashed, the shirt and skin on my back cut to ribbons. I stumbled out of my car, chest near bursting from the pounding of my heart and my eyes fixed on the empty window frame I'd just escaped. A lone figure, barely visible in the bright sun in my eyes, but still too substantial to be a mere ghost. My wounds were a testament to that. Once the doctor had finished patching me up, I sat in the waiting room and tried calling the former owners. The siblings. One after the other. I wanted to know who attacked me, and if anyone knew what I was walking into, there'd be hell to pay if so. The oldest son was the first to answer. I didn't go all in, straight away. I asked probing questions, took my time before I mentioned the basement. The guy laughed when I brought it up. Told me he'd hated going down there as a kid because he'd hear the weirdest noises like someone moaning. They all thought a ghost lived down there in the dark, and to keep them from hurting themselves or playing around with stuff they shouldn't, their father had embellished this ghost. Even gone so far as to give it a name. Marion, he called her. Marion lived in the basement hiding amongst the crates of old photos and clothes. She lurked behind the half-disassembled lawnmower, scuttling always into the dark places at the very edge of your eyesight. Marion had long fingernails and a haggard flower-sack dress. She had black lips and a pointed nose and a wart the size of your thumb. Marion ate children, their dad told them with glee. And if Marion knew that there were three bite-sized kids living just above her, well, she'd come out of the basement and come crawling up the stairs with arms as long as her body, and she'd slink her way into their bedrooms, using the shadows as cover, and she'd start by taking tiny little bites out of any bare feet that lay dangling in the cold. What about the freezer? Did you ever use it? I asked. <laughs> oh god, no, he said. Even now the basement gives me the creeps, and that freezer was where Marion lived. Uh, or so we figured as kids so we'd stay the hell away from it. It was just always there in the back, looking old and forgotten. I think Dad used to go hunting when we were little, and that's where he'd keep the meat, but he phased all of that out before I turned five. He seemed sincere, so I didn't tell him what I'd found in the house at the end of my inspection. He didn't know that behind that freezer was a false wall, and behind that wall, basement number two. God knows how the father managed it with no one noticing, but he dug it out and made a private, soundproof space, hollowed out a room about the size of a typical jail cell. The furniture was threadbare, deliberately so. A single mattress propped up against one wall. An iron shackle bolted to the foundation. A dentist chair, modified with restraints. And a stain. A vague Rorschach blob of ancient browns and almost greens that pulled outwards from a patch in the corner. It had texture. I knew that stain. I'd seen it before. Residue left behind after the professionals had finished peeling a desiccated corpse off of a hard surface. At first I assumed someone had moved the source of that stain. 
There were even footprints. They'd not been left in the residue. They were made of it. Something or someone covered in that stuff had been stomping around down there. Until that moment, the inspection had been mundane, boring. But it isn't every day you stumble across a hidden dungeon. Now I was suddenly presented with a hell of a family secret. One that just didn't make sense. I stood there for a good minute trying to make the pieces of the puzzle fit. Had someone moved a corpse and gotten covered in rotten flesh, then walked around leaving a trail? Why the hell had they done it barefoot? And why not clean up afterwards? And how had they been so clumsy, yet so clean as well? There were no drag marks. I took another look at those prints and something inside my gut soured. Small feet. A woman's. We all know this story. Basement out in the middle of nowhere. Restraints. A family man that no one suspects. He's haunted, all right. An absolute psycho. So who'd died in the basement? And who'd left those prints? Not all of them were on the floor, either. With an increasingly shaky hand, I tracked a few to the wall where they'd mounted the vertical surface and continued upwards onto the ceiling. Just like that, cold sweat gathered on the back of my neck, and a powerful sense of the uncanny ran over me like ice water. Somewhere overhead, the wind blew, and the boughs of trees groaned in the yard. Sounds of another world. I could see it in my mind. Up there. Not far away. My car, sitting in the shade. Those images felt like they belonged to another world. I desperately wanted to rejoin it. To leave this squalid little hole behind. All I had to do was walk out of the basement and make for my car. Only... I wasn't so sure I wanted to move at all. Felt like I might break something brittle. The notion that the creeping dread I felt was all in my head. A product of an overactive imagination. Nothing more. And yet I got this feeling that if I tried to run, the nightmare would spill into the real world and would give chase. I even tried telling myself I didn't know what happened in that room. It could have been a game. One played between him and his wife, but... But then I looked at the chair again. At the cracked and frayed leather of ancient straps. There were teeth marks on some of them. I took a deep breath and regained control of my legs. Unless I saw something alive down there, I had to assume I really was alone. So I turned and begun to walk, eyes forward, mind steeled against the myriad of little groans and creaks that felt as if they followed me, going from shadow to shadow. I couldn't stop myself from filling in the blanks of that basement's history, even as I told myself to stop. Maybe she died first. Maybe he did. Maybe he got bored and left her to starve. Or maybe he nearly got caught and decided to put it all to an end. Maybe she snuck something in sharp and killed herself. But she died for sure, and she stayed dead a long time. At least a couple of months for that kind of liquefaction. She lost cohesion, skin, muscle, blood like the plug of mold that forms on top of a forgotten coffee. 
I could see it in my head. A collapse. A claymation time lapse. A riot of colours. Only somehow the natural cycle broke. She didn't go away completely. And no one came to take her away. Those were her prints on the floor and walls and ceiling, weren't they? She laid down. She died. And then somehow, she got back up. By the time I reached the top of the basement steps, I'd scared myself so bad that sweat was pouring off of me. So far, the only things I'd seen on my way were just old boxes and crates. Ancient bits of stuff, just weed whackers, leaf blowers, cobwebs with disinfectant logos fading away. But that didn't mean I was alone. There was something wrong with that place. I could feel it. A radiant heat. A palpable aura of hatred. Even in the absence of anything seemingly real. It was so bad that as I opened the door, I actually felt a moment of childlike relief. A little like how you might feel racing back to bed after you go to the toilet in the middle of the night, convinced some ghost was just inches from you. And I laughed. (laughs) And something cold and hard wrapped around my ankle. A hand reached up between the slats of the stairs like it was reaching straight out of the world of make-believe and into this one where things are real. I stared down, heartbeat like thunder in my ears and slowly began to process what I was seeing in bits and pieces. First was the hand, gnarled, black, like a badly sketched shadow visible only because it caught the light coming through an open door. And then beneath it, in the shadow, a face like a skull wrapped in a garbage bag, the plastic pulled so tight you could see the suffocating outline and empty eyes and gaping mouth. And then beneath it, in the shadow, a face like a skull wrapped in a garbage bag, the plastic pulled so tight you could see the suffocating outline and empty eyes and gaping mouth. I'd expected something wetter, something straight out of a bad horror movie. In reality, whatever was in that basement had undergone a strange transformation. I only ever saw it in parts, so I can't say for sure what all of it was like, but it sure as hell didn't look like a ghost, or a corpse, or anything else I'd seen, or thought I'd seen in life or movies. It looked like a monster. The real deal. And I reacted like a child seeing the boogeyman. I made some weird half-muffled groan of fear and ripped my leg away so quickly I surprised myself. And I got free. But whatever was hiding under those stairs was quick. Before I had time to take another step, it left its hiding place, climbing the stairs, and it was already driving me to the ground the last thing I saw before my chin smashed into the kitchen floor was that Marion really did wear a flower sack dress. At the time, this strange detail passed over me without notice. But in hindsight, the fact that the son would later recount that particular item of clothing convinced me his father had been the man responsible for that hidden basement. It wasn't like it had been waiting to be uncovered when the family moved in. 
And on top of that, the father must be a real piece of work to inject that sort of sickening detail into a story he told his kids. He'd likely done it so if his prisoner ever escaped and his kids saw them, their first instinct would be to scream for their lives and run. I didn't know any of this at the time, of course. I only had vague notions of what had attacked me. Something hateful, for sure. Something that had died in that awful room and come back to life. God, she was so angry. She pinned me, knelt on my back, and howled like a banshee that had been hit by a car. I pissed myself at that sound, at the feeling of helplessness, at the realization that this was a nightmare I couldn't wake up from. She went to work on my back with fingers I couldn't see, but could feel as white hot as a tattoo needle pain. It lasted only a few seconds. The agony was enough to send me into spasms that knocked her off and onto the floor. That tiny moment of freedom was all I needed. I crawled to my feet and jumped headfirst out the nearest window. I didn't care about cuts. If you could have felt what I felt, you wouldn't have either. These weren't scratches. Doctors compared my wounds to those left behind by a box jellyfish, the kind of thing that causes the muscle beneath to wilt and wither after a million hypodermic needles have turned the flesh into a porous sponge. I had to get skin grafts. I had to get rid of my car. They couldn't scrub what I'd left of my skin from the leather seats. Even now my back looks like I got run over by a mower. Still hurts when I pull my top on each morning. Somehow they're not even the worst of my wounds. Just the biggest. The most visible. At least these scars make it easy to convince the bank not to sell. Normally it takes a lot of effort but they took one look at that doctor's report and agreed to condemn it thoroughly and pass the land onto whatever strange governmental department handles that kind of thing. That particular house has been left to crumble. No piece of paper or deed or mortgage payment is taking it back from Marion. We can only shut it off. The land is fenced, and every window has been slapped with so many toxic gas signs I can only hope no one else is stupid enough to ever go back inside. Looking back, I really should have listened to my instincts. Squatters don't leave a place alone without good reason. Tiny Terrors is an anthology horror podcast produced by Pulp Audio and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. This episode was directed by Cole Weavers, with sound production and editing by Mike Lebeau. To find additional information or to join our Patreon for additional content and ad-free episodes, visit our website, www.tinyterrorspod.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tiny Terrors Pod. Or join the Pulp Audio Discord by clicking the link in the description below. Rate and review us on Spotify and Apple. And finally, thanks for listening.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.